Augustine in his uh, book, Confessions, stated this. He, he said, uh, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. Our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. As I sat here this morning, uh, right before we began, and, and saw a number of you come in, and knowing the kind of week, and I know I don't know what everyone's week was like, but I know what some of you were facing this week, and what a difficult week it was. And to see you walking in one by one, doing the right thing, being in God's house with God's people, even right on the heels of what you're going through, and maybe right in the middle of what you're going through. It, it was such an encouragement to my heart. And then as, as we sang it as well with my soul, I cannot sing that without thinking of my friend over in Atlanta when I was pastoring over there, Doug Wheeler, whose wife, that was our children's director at the time, uh, was in a, a car wreck and became a quadriplegic, and I met with Doug on a regular basis. And I would say, which is just a dumb question, but I, I would say, Doug, how you doing? And he almost always led with this. My life has fallen apart, but it is well with my soul. Now, that's the perspective, and that's, that's what I want us, as we go into the Scripture reading today, to, to see the application of these doctrines that we are studying, because that really is the application right there. Let's read, uh, beginning in the first verse of Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the uh, death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Father, how we thank you for this glorious word from you to us, for us, for us today, for us in what we are facing. Will you, Lord, apply these amazing doctrines to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul is fond of using the term, therefore. And many of you know what we have to say when we see that word, and it is... <laughs> Bunch of Presbyterians, you can't talk out loud. Yeah. What's your therefore, therefore? That's, that's just a... a it's not really a, an official uh, part of hermeneutics or the science of interpretation of Scripture. But it's a great question to ask whenever you see that. Because it then leads us not, not just to see it as, as a, a connecting word, but to see it as a connecting word that is looking back at what's been said before this. And we're going to see this a few times in uh, the book of Romans, a couple of times in this very uh, passage. So, very quickly, what he has covered so far, and we have covered in uh, uh, our study of Romans, we see that in the first four chapters, uh, he talks about the righteousness that can come to God's people that is an alien righteousness from outside of ourselves. And it has to be because we cannot save ourselves by our works or by circumcision or by anything that we do. It's impossible. Uh, we, we saw in, in chapter 3 that all of us are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. Everyone's included. We saw the downward spiral historically of what, what had happened to mankind. And then in chapter 4, we saw Abraham as the example where, where the Jews in that day would have said, well, well, he was saved because he was perfect. And Paul says, no, no. 
Not at all. He, he was one also that we were describing in chapter 3 that sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And so the, the account of Abraham is not about Abraham's faithfulness, but about God's faithfulness. And so then he says, therefore. Now, this week on The City, I encourage you to ponder, what difference does my justification actually mean in my life? What difference does it mean? In one sense, Paul is, is continuing to move on to explain more and more about justification by faith and, and all that it means. But in another sense, he's beginning to apply it. And, and he's saying, look, this makes a difference in your life. Not just, not just knowing about it, but the fact that you are justified makes a difference. So for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life, those are the ones that are justified. And he begins by giving several benefits. He talks, first of all, about peace with God. Verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, so he's basing it on what he had already talked about, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word there for peace is not the word that he would use for uh, contentment. There is a word he could have used for that. And that's a, big, that's a biggie in our lives, contentment. It, it's not the word he would use for satisfaction. It's Reconciliation. And here's why. What he's saying, what this piece is, is that the war is over with God. Now, you might have come here this morning, and, and this, this might be right in your wheelhouse, of course. I, I understand, and I, I understand that piece. But, but some of you might have come this morning... Uh, and, and never, you wouldn't even call yourself a believer yet. I'm glad you're here. But because you're here, you wouldn't say I'm an enemy of God. In fact, I kind of like him. I'm kind of seeking him. I want to know more about him. And yet, Paul is saying here, Here's what you need to understand. There's not those that are children of the living God and then those that hate him and are enemies and then a bunch in between that are, you know, on pretty good terms and they're moving the right direction and all that. Paul says, that's not the, that's not the great divide. You are a child of the living God by faith, by trusting in Christ alone, or you are his enemy. Now that might be a shock to you. Because you might say, I don't feel like his enemy. And, and yet, that's what the first part of Romans shows us. 
that indeed, without Christ, that's our plight. We're going we're gonna to move toward this more later, but I, I want to jump ahead because that, that's how this passage starts, and then it's bracketed with verse 10 and 11, at least where I cut it off. Uh, for, and it says in verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. See, that's what we're called if we're outside of Christ. We, outside of Christ, are prodigals. If you're outside of Christ, you've gone to the far country and you're not in relationship. And that's what, that's what Paul, that's why this is such an essential thing to understand. From God's perspective, you might say, that's not my perspective. It doesn't really matter. The issue is, how does God view us? So the reason we need peace with God is because unless we're in relationship with Christ, we are at war with God, and we are his enemies. Now we'll come back to the verses 10 and 11, but, but look at the second benefit. The first one is peace with God. And the second one is access into this grace. Use the word therefore again. Verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, to understand this, we've got to go all the way back to, to the garden. And this is biblical theology when, when we connect all of Scripture and see it's all one account. It's not a bunch of chopped up accounts. But what happened in the garden? Adam and Eve had direct access to God. They, they were in communion with God. Adam sins. Sin comes into the world. And everything changed from that moment on. One of the things that changed was that they were cast out of the garden. And that they would, would not at that time have the same kind of access to God, the same kind of communion with Him that they had had before sin came into the world. Move forward in Israel's history. We see God all the while showing His presence with His people. But how did He show it? He showed it in a, a pillar of fire. He showed it in uh, a pillar of the cloud. He showed it in the tabernacle, which was right in the middle of God's people to remind them, every time they'd set up camp, to remind them that God is in their midst. He's dwelling among them. He showed it in the temple. But even in the temple, you have... God himself, in essence, in the Holy of Holies. The only one that had access to the Holy of Holies 
was the high priest once a year as the Holy of Holies was this huge curtain that nobody could go behind except the high priest once a year. And only after uh, preparation and purification and, and so on, uh, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And then only after cleansing. That continued until the hour that Jesus died on the cross. At that time, that huge curtain that nobody could go behind except that high priest was torn like a, a, a piece of tissue paper. But it wasn't torn by any human being from the bottom up to the top. They didn't go in and, and run in, in there to, to get access. But it was torn from the top to the bottom to show that, that something had happened that gave access to God. What had happened was Jesus died on the cross for his people. And so, access to God was restored by the work of Jesus Christ. Now, there will come a time, and he's about to talk about that, where we will have that face-to-face -face access again. Not in this life, not in this fallen world, but the fact that uh, uh, that curtain was torn shows us we have access. And so now all of us, not just a high priest, all of us because, who are in Christ can go directly to God. What glory that is. Paul says that's a benefit of our justification. Through him, through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And then he gives a third benefit, and that is hope for the future. Verse 2, and we rejoice in, in hope of the glory of God. Now, I, I hope that you've noticed that what we have is uh, the past, present, and future in terms of our justification. You have uh, the past where peace with God has been achieved, the present where we have access by grace in this life, and then the future is that hope of glory. Now, hope in the New Testament is not like, like when we say, man, I, I, I hope I win the, um, you know, the, the big money, uh, million-dollar thing, you know, and we don't really think we will, but, but that'd be nice. Hope in the New Testament is a certainty because it's based upon promises. And so that's what he talks about. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So our justification brings us peace with God, access to God, and future hope. So back in chapter 3, we find out that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In chapter 5, 
we find out that we have the hope of the glory of God because of what Jesus has done for us. That's why we call it the blessed hope. It's not just wishful thinking. Now Paul takes it even closer to home (coughs) as he talks about help for this life. It's not just something that happened, that access to grace is this life, and it's not just something in the future that we don't have yet. But he says in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Here's where it gets crazy. (laughs) Here's where uh, those outside of the faith say, okay, I like a lot of what you've said, but rejoicing in suffering? What? This is not some kind of a masochistic, uh, you know, pious Christian perspective where we say, oh yeah, I hope that I uh, get to suffer or anything like that. We shouldn't seek it. We shouldn't revel in it when we suffer. But we do need to understand from the Christian perspective, there is meaning in suffering. And that's what makes the difference. There is meaning in it. For the person who who knows that he's saved by grace and not by works, then that person is free from thinking when they're suffering, what did I do wrong to deserve this? See, that's how other religions look at it. They either deny the suffering or they say it's, it's a big cycle and you're getting what you deserve in this life or you're going to get what you deserve in the next life. But that's because they, they base everything upon their works. So we who are in Christ and know it's not about our works but about His work are are free from having to think, well, why am I suffering? What did I do to him? Or what did my loved one do to deserve that? Instead, Christianity doesn't say you're getting what you had coming Christianity says Jesus already got what you had coming. So there's some other meaning when we suffer. Paul says it produces endurance. The Greek word literally means to abide under, stay under pressure. One of my uh, son's wrestling coaches Uh, And and I found this out, this saying one time when, and obviously this was a while back, when when we were on vacation over Christmas, but he had to stay in shape. So I said, well, I'll go with you. And uh, so we ran, and he ran a lot more than I did. And then we're in the middle of a deserted football field and uh, doing push-ups and sit-ups, and he did a lot more than than I did, 
And I, I think by then I was kind of laying on my back. And he said, uh, you know, Coach, Coach G says, uh, pain is weakness going out of the body. <laughs> I'm thinking, it ain't for me, it's just pain. <laughs> just pain. But Nathan remembered that, and the, the fact that he said it at that point told me he, he's thought about that a lot, and it probably helped him get through uh, you know, a lot of those drastic workouts that wrestlers and other athletes do. Because he saw there was a reason for it. It was making him, him stronger, and, and that's really what Paul is saying. It, it produces in endurance. There is a reason for suffering. And that's one reason. Then he, he goes on, he says it also produces character. Verse 4, and endurance produces character, character produces hope. Now, that word character comes from words that have to do with the refining of metals. You know, fire that will purify them and make them beautiful and make them strong. One commentator says this is, this is what suffering produces, a tried integrity. In other words, an integrity that is shown to be true because of what one has been through. And then, and then thirdly, he, he talks about the experience of his love, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Two things that have been poured into us, God's love in our hearts and God's Holy Spirit. So both of those are within us. Now here's the thing, and, and this is, here's where we're going to see Paul's reasoning as well. The mention of God's love here is more on that subjective side. How do you prove that to somebody? You know, if you say, I, I feel God's love for me. What's that mean to anybody else? You can't. Because it's subjective. Now, that doesn't mean you, don't, you aren't really feeling it. And if you have God's Holy Spirit, he says you, you will. It is that. But, but that part is subjective. But Paul doesn't stop with the subjective. He goes on to give objective truth that proves the love of God. Look at verse um, 6 and 7. We'll look at that in a second. But let's go back to the unbeliever or one who believes that they're saved by works. The honest one always knows that they are not living up to their own standards and certainly not living up to God's standards. So when the suffering comes, the tendency is to say, well, am, am, I, being, am I being punished for my sin? And so they, they puzzle over feeling loved by God. Because how do you know? And sometimes for the child of God, you may not feel loved. Sometimes our own children may feel that way, even though 
we love them. They may not feel that love equally at all times. So what about those times when, as a a child of God, maybe because of what we're going through or facing, we don't necessarily feel that kind of love? Paul says this, verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. See, that's the explanation of grace right there. We are called weak. We are called ungodly. We are called sinners. In verse 10, we're called enemies. That's why I said we're the prodigal outside of Christ. And that's why his love had to be by grace, undeserved favor. Because there was nothing within us that caused us to deserve his love or to draw his love toward us. No strength, no godliness, no righteousness, no friendship. And then verse 8, we see the demonstration of love. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's where the objective, it's not about us feeling loved. We can look at the cross and see, now that's love. And that was for me. That's objective truth. And then verse 9 gives us another application, how we are saved from the wrath of God. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. His wrath is turned away. We move from being his enemies to being his friend. And then then we come back to the verses about reconciliation. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now we are reconciled, uh, we that are reconciled shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Earlier I said, we're the prodigal in the, in the far country, This is the picture of the father running and grabbing the prodigal. While we were sinners, while we were enemies, he didn't wait until we became friends to to come grab the son. It's initiated by, by him. So what should that mean to us? I want to read to you from one commentator. He said, we should be the most positive people in the world. We, we cannot mooch round the place with a drooping hangdog expression. We cannot drag our way through life moaning and groaning. We cannot always be looking on the dark side of everything as negative prophets of doom. No, we exult in God. Then every part of our life becomes suffused with glory and Christian worship becomes a joyful celebration of God 
and, and Christian living a joyful service of God. So come, let us exult together. He, sa- he says that's an application. Instead of looking like we are the defeated ones, we are on the winning side. And he says that's how we should uh, work our way through life. And joy should be the marker of the redeemed person, of those who by grace have been justified by the work of Jesus. Three times we read about uh, joy and rejoicing in this passage. Verse 2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Verse 11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've received reconciliation. So why rejoice? Because we're no longer enemies with God. That's worth rejoicing over. Why rejoice? Because when we face suffering, we know it is not punishment because his wrath is gone. And no matter what is going on in this life, no matter what you're facing this past week or now or next week, if you're in Christ, you have peace with God. And then finally, when we die, it is different because we go to a friend. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Oh, Father, thank you for that glorious doctrine, but the fact that it, it applies to our life. It makes a difference that we are justified by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We give you all praise. Give us hearts of praise in this moment, and as we go from here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.